Good morning. Um, you know, this is my very first Thanksgiving in Canada. Um, so, of course, then again, it could be my last, you know, depending on how much you want me to leave. But the, the point is, Thanksgiving, whether it be in America or Canada, yes, America also has value in Thanksgiving. Um, it should be a time of our reflecting our relationship with God. should be a time of us giving appreciation. You know, I was trying to imagine what it's like for those who are non-believers. They get to Thanksgiving and they say, gee, thanks, nobody. I'm so thankful to something. Thankful to myself. Thankful that Today's another day. Thankful that... But there's no one to focus that thanks toward. Today my sermon is not on Thanksgiving, but I do appreciate so much the testimony we heard a few moments ago as Brother Alfred was reminding us that we need to be thankful and the term that I used to use when I was young, all over the place for the families around us that support us, are patient with us, put up with our flaws, put up with our, our opinions and our, our prejudices, and, and still love us in the middle of all of that. When I was young, uh, I was a rather rambunctious child, wording that very nicely, um, and I was in the country a lot, and I could remember um, going out and climbing through a fence because I was going uh, fishing or something uh, in a, across the field. And in those days, to cross fences and to go into different people's pastures and things was very, very uh, freeing, very open. It didn't matter. No one cared. But in that particular case, I was at my uncle's farm, and I was crossing through the fence, and I did uh, what I always do. I got in a hurry, and I managed to hit barbed wire on my leg, and I ripped that part of my leg open really nicely, and um, so I ended up getting stitches in my leg and uh, carried that along with me. For, so I was very thankful for a doctor at that point, I'll have to admit. I, um, about 15 years ago in Macau, was uh, staying at a, a, a small little guest house that they had there and managed somehow, there was, there was a, a screw sticking out of the edge of one of the, um, the beds, a fold-up bed, and managed to catch one spot and rip things straight up the same scar that I had when I was young. So it kind of reminded me of that old experience. But um, I guess the thing I want to mention, because today my, my goal is to talk about reconciliation, um, is that sometimes reconciliation is, is an experience that uh, we have reminded uh, uh, for, uh, we have rec- uh, times of life in, in, throughout life where we are reminded of something that happened earlier on. And reconciliation has to do with relationships. 
Uh, relationships that once existed. My skin at one time didn't have a scar. But after having ripped that baby open several times, I have a nice scar there. And my skin, if in, in, a, in a sense, got reconciled, but there's still evidence that there was something that happened. I don't know what kind of a personality you have, but I do recognize that none of us in the... Well, I won't say none of us. Most of us are a little different from each other in here. Some of you are what I would call very touchy-feely. Some of you are not. You know, they have that uh, Myers-Briggs personality inventory where, in my case, I've taken it over and over and over, keep hoping I'm going to get a different result, and every time it comes out the same. And... Um, it challenges me because it really does confirm the fact that I am not a very touchy-feely person, and yet there is still a reality within me that I do recognize people are important. Feelings are important. In, in, when I was working in Asia, I was supervising several hundred people directly or indirectly, and we were constantly having to relate to their uh, approaches to work and their strategies and whether or not this was going to work. So constantly I was having to challenge them with questions related to whether certain things were going to be practical or not. I can still remember one guy that came to me with a budget over a million dollars one year. And I kind of smiled and I thought, you are aware we work with a mission organization? Um, but, uh, you know, we gradually popped that way down. But the... The idea of uh, trying to recognize that different people are different and they have different focuses and different understandings of things is something we all have to recognize. And we can't necessarily put all of us in the same box and say that people need to respond exactly like us for them to be right or for them to be wrong. They're just different. Uh, I know for many of us, maybe your tendency is to be a little bit of an introvert. But in fact, maybe your work demands you to be more of an extrovert. Maybe you're a natural extrovert and you have to control your mouth because you're living in a society that says you need to be a little bit more introspective. Maybe you're a person that's just totally dependent on your feelings and you're always worried about hurting other people and saying the wrong thing. Or maybe you're a person who kind of forgets that other people have feelings. Because your focus is what is factual, what is right, and what must be done next. In Asia, one of our principles of work within our mission organization was we basically said that administration never controls ministry. But ministry controls administration. In other words, rules and regulations were designed to help the success of the work. The point is to focus in saying that God has always been about relationships with people and has always focused on them more than rules and regulations. Therefore, he managed to get into all kinds of conflicts with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they were constantly displeased with him and dissatisfied with his words. He preferred to be concerned about whether a person was helped on the Sabbath than whether or not it was a person 
doing something that they would classify as working on the Sabbath. He desired to help those in need. He respected a woman that was found in sin as opposed to punishing that particular individual. Customs and administrative work were, were understood as tools by Christ and not controls for care. Here at VCBC, our goal must be that administration and policies and whatever we design helps us to be effective. Now, effective in what? I think we have to be constantly aware that there's a need to redefine what the church is. And in defining the church, it reminds us that the church is the body of Christ reaching out in His love, in His name. That means it's more than us internally focusing. I believe it's this week's bulletin that I may have written a little comment about, yes, a social club or service organization or what. Now, you may or may not ever read that. That's okay. I write that anyway. But the point is, we have to challenge ourselves in saying, if we're going to be the church, we have got to find our purpose in also relating to the non-Christian world in which we live. If we do not, we have become an internal club that is only focused on us. And when we do that, the church is no longer functioning as the church was designed. Christ established the church so that we would be the salt, the light, the love, the care. That that part I was talking about that makes me so uncomfortable being heavily touchy-feely. But yet, somewhere in there, Christ thought it was important. So again, whether that's natural to me or not, I'm going to have to learn to do it a little bit. And I make mistakes with it all the time. Not being adequately sensitive to others. Not learning all the details the way I should. But you do too. As we look at BCBC, we have to ask why we're here and what our purpose is. One of the greatest struggles I have, and you can just imagine, I'm doing a little bit of self-confession today is I struggle with people who procrastinate over decisions. Again, in my previous role, procrastination was a sign of heading down a, a pathway that would tie you up and you would never get anywhere. I, to get in a meeting with a person like me, who is an INTJ, naturally, to get in a meeting, for me, it is an endurance test. I don't mind dealing with the facts, but I want us to make a call. The idea of sitting there getting wrapped up and talking and talking and listening and listening and then have to listen to everybody. Oh my, you want to give me a, a word of uh, uh, definition for uh, being uh, placed in a, a prison or in, in an area of suffering. Oh, it's hard for me. Now for some people, that's where they want to be. Now does that mean I'm right and they're wrong? No. Just means we're different, and we got to learn to live with each other. And even as Brother Al was saying this morning, we're all family, and not all family members are exactly alike. My goodness, family almost makes it scary. 
I've seen many brothers and sisters that fought more than anybody I've ever seen in my entire life. And I would always question, if that is the way brothers and sisters fight, thank you God, I'm an only child. And it's true. It probably shows everywhere for those of you who are into that kind of thing. Relationships are important and people are important because Christ gave Himself for them. I may or may not get frustrated with them at times, but you know, you can't run far enough to avoid relationships. Whether we like them or not, we're going to have to learn to relate and love each other and care about each other. And if we don't, uh, I fear we're not going to find a very functional role in this world. There's a guy in this room that's about the only person I've ever known who had even the potential of avoiding relationships. I remember when I was much younger, prior to really feeling a clear sense of call for where God was going to lead me, I remember I was thinking about different job opportunities in the future, what kind of jobs there were out there. And I remember one of them was what Bob Lee went into when he was in school, studying forestry. I always thought, forestry, this is great. You can go out and live in the trees and not have to deal with people. You know, because people are what make, they're the things that make everything complicated. The problem is, Jesus didn't die for the trees. He cared about the people. So somewhere along the way, as God began to massage my heart, I relented. I still love trees. Not as much as Bob does. Nor do I know all their names like Bob does. But I did recognize that sometimes we have to function out of our own natural comfort zone for the benefit of others. That's why we're a family, is to help each other. We're here to support each other, to be an encouragement and a blessing to each other. You know, it's not all about you and how things always impact you. Sometimes it's about how we can impact others in the name of Christ. And reconciliation challenges us at that point. The letter to the Colossian church was written by Paul while he was still in prison. Now, Paul did this. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he kept that great focus. Oh, I wish I was that spiritual. But while in prison, instead of saying, oh, poor me, Paul had heard that the church in Colossae was having problems. And a result was that he wrote a letter to them. Wrote several letters, actually, to different churches, but one of them was this church. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was a kind of thinking that had entered into the church. Gnostic thinking. Some teachings that were not really healthy. And they were being brought into the church by a Jewish mystic group. And so he had heard that who had come through the doors and entered into the circle of the church, those people were providing twisted understanding of God. There were some of them that were saying, God's sort of theoretical, not exactly, not exactly something that's real. There, there were others that were saying, oh, he's very real. Uh, and a lot of punishment. So you had a lot of different involvement there. But the main issue that seemed to bounce around within that church was the idea that a holy Creator God could not, based on His own essence, create a less than perfect world that would include sin. 
And they got off into this nice philosophical banter related to where sin came from. And if there was sin there, then it's God's fault if you've got a God. And so therefore, surely your understanding of God is wrong. So they played the nice mental game of trying to understand and come up with all the graph of who God was. Now, you know and I know, if you could understand God, you would be God. I'm perfectly comfortable admitting God knows a lot more than I do. That doesn't faze me at all. I don't grasp or understand many things that we find in Scripture. doesn't mean I shouldn't try to learn. But there are times when His identity takes me beyond what I can grasp. They had some people within that particular group that were worshiping angels. They were teaching sun worship. They were vegetarians. They were opposed to marriage. There were a lot of ideas in there that were rather cult-like. And that was what Paul had learned about in prison and felt like it was worth a letter. Now, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, Paul does what he always does. He wrote, he kind of introduced himself, and he went ahead. And and you've got to remember, Paul had never been to that church. Now, that's kind of a bold action in and of itself. One Christian writing to a church and saying, you guys have got some problems, and it's come to my ear about your problem, but I'm going to try to help you out. And so he did that. And in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, he wrote, he gave them some definition, and he said, and I'm praying for you, and he explained his prayer burden, and this kind of thing. And, and uh, he wrote of his love and his care. And then finally we see, as he moves on into chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, a little bit of a change, but the emphasis is very much on Christ. In chapter uh, 1, verse 14, it says, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin within Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Emphasizing the unity and identity of who Christ was and how important it was, because in that Colossian church... They had begun to say that worshiping angels was legitimate. Paul understood that they somehow had usurped the position of Christ with angels. And the the angels were viewed as the authority people. Not people. The angels were as the authority. Verses 15 to 17, Paul wrote about a special nature of Christ. He emphasized forgiveness. He emphasized the essence of God, the creating aspect of who Christ was. All things were created through Him. The message was completeness in every way, and it was aimed to clarify that worshiping angels was an incorrect direction. Within our church at VCBC, is theology important? My answer is sure. We must guard against uh, our theologies in any way becoming altered that we would allow cult-like thinking to enter into our circle. Yet there is a freedom that should come to us and a joy that should come to us as we serve our Lord. We must guard our actions and service 
But at the same time, Galatians 5 verse 1 says that we must set ourselves free as we walk in Christ. So we have no need to be fearful, but we do need to be responsible. In verse 18 of Colossians, Paul went on, he said, I know in that church there are many problems. He said, but don't forget that Christ is the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. The emphasis there is to remind them, you never hurt the church. If you hurt the church, you're hurting the body. If you're hurting the body, remember the head is tied to the body. Our goal is never to hurt the body of Christ or to hurt the head. When I was in college, I remember I got a little, a little confused at times. I really enjoyed student work, working with university students. When they came to know Christ, they were so excited. Every time we did music or anything, we'd gather together. We'd just have a great time. It was a wonderful time of worship and excitement. And yet, one of my problems was I had somehow lost a very important thing. And that was a full grasp of what the church was. You see, somehow, having people accept Christ, I thought that's enough. Having them grow and mature and walk with Christ, that was good enough. But they were independently functioning as Christians, did not grasp their identity within the body of Christ. And I think that's even from the testimony we heard this morning, a reminder to say, we are a body. Strong sometimes, weak sometimes, successful sometimes, failures at times. Sometimes we spread rumors, shouldn't be, but we do. Sometimes we say more than we should. Sometimes we don't say enough. And yet, we're all brothers and sisters walking the same path together. The church was important or Christ would never have called it His body. For me, as a college student, to gain an understanding that the church was valuable. It was vital. That it was part of that student work. That it was all mixed together. It was integrated. One of our challenges always as Christians is to integrate our faith. Christianity is not Sunday morning from 9.30 till 11.15. Our Christian walk is seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and people are watching. So how does one reconcile with God? Verses 19 to 23, it says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven... And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you. We have been reconciled. Just like that skin I was talking about. God has put us back together. But you've got to remember where the problem started in the first place. 
My goodness, we have to remember, if we look in uh, the Old Testament, we can look and see the Garden of Eden. And we have to recognize that's where it all began. God had us all together. Everything was good. And yet, there was a broken relationship as man began to focus on himself and as we were tempted and as we gave into that temptation. And so the relationship was broken and there was a need to patch things back together. And in Jesus, that reconciliation became available. It wasn't forced upon man. We still have to accept it. But He has provided it for all. Reconciliation. Definition. In the case of God and man is twofold. A holy God is reconciled in the justice, has, in that justice has been satisfied at the cross. And sinful man is reconciled in that in the case of the believing sinner, his attitude of enmity toward God is changed to one of friendship. To be a sinner, to be broken in that relationship, does make us one who struggles with God at best. In most cases, at that point of lack of reconciliation, it's people who simply do not know Him. They've never really recognized that relationship. In the Old Testament, there were a couple of different kinds of covenants. Some of the covenants were ones between a superior party and a and a, a, an inferior party, ones with strength, ones with weaknesses, this kind of thing. Then there were, part, there were also covenants that were between equals. Well, the covenant that God offers us is not one between equals, but it is a covenant that the superior party, being God, has chosen to limit Himself to put up with, that's my own terminology not read in any book, to put up with people like you and me. Sinners, lost people. Why he does that is beyond my understanding. I don't get it. I'm not a good enough feeler. Maybe that's my personality problem. But I so much appreciate it. I so much appreciate it. That the loving, caring Creator God cares enough about me to put up with my stupidity my independence, my pride to say to me, if I will accept Him, He will accept me and He will put that skin back together. He will reconcile me with Him. When I was 15, I got a job. And I was a typical 15-year-old who thought he knew pretty much all there was to be known. And... Um, I had a, a job that was pulling in some pretty good money. I uh, went to work every week, received my salary, and um, gradually um, trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do. But I was still going to school. My schooling, I was doing, I was making fairly good grades. And so um, life was kicking right along. But at home with my mother, again, my, I had no brothers and sisters. My father had died three years earlier. I was struggling at home. And the only reason I was struggling was I wanted to do things my way. I had my, my car. I had a car. Hey, I, I mean, it's my money, my, my car. 
gasoline. I pay for it myself. That's pretty independent. You know, and again, growing up in America, the perspective, now good, in Canada, you know, you guys may be okay, but in America, I'll just blame America. Um, for, for my background, being independent, that was a sign of uh, maturity. I, I had arrived. And so already at 15, I had it all together. And my mother and I had an argument one day, and I finally said, this is enough. And I left home. And I left for four days. I'd have been gone longer than that, believe me. I'm very hard-headed, or was then. Now I can't be because I'm married. But uh, in those days, I was hard-headed. The, uh, the point was, though, I, I did not realize, did not realize, notice that, we all make mistakes. I didn't fully grasp the damage I was doing back home. And after four days, I was out with some friends across town. I mean, that's how I, I ran away off, you know. I was maybe, you know, six miles, seven miles away. And my cousin, who is about seven years older than I am, found me. And he came in and laid down the law. And I was instructed that I would go home. And I tried, tried to explain to him, but that's about as far as it got. He didn't care what the arguments were. He didn't care what the but was. He didn't care what the thoughts. All he knew was that my mother had been at home for four days crying her heart out. And that I had done it to her. I got in the car and I drove across town, struggling, trying to come up with all these great little stories of how I was going to explain this and help her understand. I am a grown man now. I'm 15. I know all there is to know. You know, you know. I had to get my little. But when I walked in the door and I saw her, that was the end of it. All of the little stories and all of the little descriptions and all of the rationale became sub- suddenly not important. I needed to reconcile definition again with my mother. And it was not easy. You see, my mother was very forgiving. She reconciled. In fact, her memory almost let her within... A period of time began to let that just sort of fade, and she went on with life. You know, we're talking about something that happened to me 45 years ago. And I still remember it like it was day before yesterday. See, reconciliation, the scar is still there for me. I can still see the scar. I know what I did. I appreciated my mother's willingness to help it heal. When I went overseas to serve as a missionary, you experience some of these experiences quite often as missionaries. You have literally pulled yourself out of one culture and plopped yourself in a new one. And the old culture, you've got friends, you've got relatives, you've got a life. If today I went to you and I said, you know, God needs you serving in Zhengzhou, China. And you said, yeah, and I'm willing to go. 
they're still pulling you out of everything over here. And it's one thing to go for a year. It's another thing to go for 38. And I've packed it up. But when I went the first time, I didn't know how long God was going to keep me overseas. But God pulled me out. And I tried to at least hold on to some of my old relationships over here. One of my friends, every time I would come back to the States, about once every four years, in, back in the early days, coming back to the States once every three or four years was classified as quite a bit. Today, crossing the ocean is almost nothing, especially for Chinese who are accustomed to doing that. But in our particular environment in those days, it just didn't happen. And some of you can also remember what it was like 15 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. But I um, had gone overseas and returned to the States and was visiting a friend. And we got together every few years. And I knew he and his wife very well. And my wife uh, got to know them well also. And there was a time when we got together and the guy booked me and said, no, I really would rather not bring my wife today. He said, let's just get together. So we went out to a place not unlike White Spot and just sat and talked. My friend shared with me that uh, at that point of his life, he had been married 25 years, uh, but that he was having an affair. And he went on to share with me about uh, the fact that he was doing this. And I said, now tell me, Where's your church in this? Where's your walk with Christ in this? Where is your intimate understanding of God's love for you and how this is doing harm to your wife and to you and your marriage and your testimony and your two daughters? He was wrapped up in himself. And he kept explaining and he would say, I understand, I know what you're saying. In theory, I have it. But what's happened is we've determined she's going to leave her husband. And I said, you're kidding me. So she's married as well. Oh, yeah. And I said, this is just absolutely beyond. But I said, you know, I can say I care for you, but this kind of thinking I really have a difficulty with. And he said, I know you would. I knew you would. I know you do. But I had nobody else to talk to. And I said, why not talk to the pastor? Find out what's going on. He said, you know, if you knew the pastor's lifestyle and knew what this pastor was like, you'd know why I don't go to him. Oh, my! What a mess! A couple of weeks later, he contacted me again. And he said, well, things didn't work out. And I thought, work out? What is there to work out at this point? The only thing for you is you've got to repent. You've got to reconcile with God. Reconcile. Everything has to be changed. He said, well, we, I discovered that my friend and her husband have made up. So now what do I do? And I said, <laughs> you know, you have gotten yourself so deeply in such a mess that I don't even know where to go with this discussion. Well, we went on and we carried this thing through. Anyway, the final result was after 35 years, he and his wife divorced. Why do I mention this story? 
I mention this to remind us that forgiveness and reconciliation are never-ending story for mankind. It happens over and over, not only in my friend's life, not only in my life, but in your life. We all are constantly making mistakes, committing sins, needing repentance, trying to straighten out and follow God. We have got to be reconciled if we're going to be used well by God. We have to be sure that we recognize God has already reconciled His relationship with us. He's already putting up with us. We should give praise for that. And yet we have to recognize it is a constant challenge in our lives. Mankind is sinful and in need of reconciliation. But the good news is in Romans 6.23. Yes, we are sinners, but there's still hope. Our Father is a God of hope. The people of Colossae were in trouble. They had wrong theology. They had cult teaching in their midst. They had all kinds of... Just like you had Eastern lightning stepping into the middle of their circle. Or they had poor Bible study. The Christians must be on guard today. The church must be on guard today. Today our challenge is to be sure we know what it is to be reconciled with God. If you are a follower of our Lord today... My prayer is that you get up tomorrow and give thanksgiving, not for just existing, but thanksgiving to God that He has reconciled His relationship with us and we can reconcile relationships with others. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You knowing that we are sinners. Father, we recognize that that our theology must be more than just something in between our ears. It must be something that walks with us as we go into the streets. Father, give us a burden and give us the focus to follow You where You lead. And help us to appreciate the reconciling work of Jesus Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name.